This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mama told me, son, go and play in the yard. Papa said, go and play, you gotta break your stomach, go and scream real hard. And welcome to it, and congratulations, baseball fans. You've made it. This is opening week, and for the Orioles, they open up in Boston, Mass., Fenway Park, and we take you inside the yard, a new season of Orioles baseball, Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold, and thank you for being with us. A couple of Orioles broadcasters, and Jeff, I I just am so excited we're here at last. It was really cool to see fans back at spring training games. It provided a sense of normalcy that in 2020 we didn't have. Um, So it's going to be really cool for that first game against the Red Sox at Camden Yards uh, with the capacity being what it is, just to have people in the ballpark. It gets it to feel like normal again. A new season is upon us, and uh, we're taping this on a Tuesday. So starting on Wednesday, it's going to mean seven straight months of baseball. And that's a really good thing. It's just nice to know it's there. And we're not playing 60 this year, Jeff. You may have heard we're going to go the full distance, 162. Even though we did have times at spring training where we were doing seven inning games, we even had a six inning game thrown in there. But you and I did do one nine inning game and I did 12 games down in Sarasota and some different places. So I think we are fully stretched out for 162. I don't think we're going to pop any vocal cords or anything like that. So we're fully ready to go. I think the whirlpools after our games were very key to get us to where we are now physically and mentally, Jeff, that, and as our colleague and friend, Ben McDonald would say an adult beverage. So uh, we've made it. This is inside the yard, big show today. We'll talk to Orioles general manager, Mike Elias about spring training, uh, the 26 man roster. He has created his expectations for the season uh, both in minor league development and also for the big club. And also, speaking of Ben McDonald, he will join us a bit later as we talk about this Orioles rotation, some of the young arms. And I'm really intrigued right now, Jeff, as we get going. Uh, Two Orioles really jump out to me uh, in what we'll see here in 2021 offensively, and that's Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes. And, and, And really, they were the offensive stories, aside from the great story of Trey Mancini this spring. Ryan Mountcastle really started to come into his zone over the last two weeks. At the very beginning of spring training, you know, he was a little antsy at the plate. He was chasing some pitches. He was a little bit too jumpy. There were a couple of issues in the outfield. But over the last two weeks, and I and for me, the first game where it looked like he really was in his groove came against the Twins when he's facing Jay Happ. He hits a bullet to center field that goes over the guy's head. Then he hits a home run out to left field. And the good at-bats kept coming after that. I mean, I think you realize with Mount Castle, he's never going to walk a ton. But if he can get into a spot where he's not chasing nearly as much, and you know pitchers are going to see if they can get him to do that now that they've had a partial season looking at him, um, I think that'll be really big to his development. And you figure he'll play left, 
He'll spend some time in the DH spot. He could back up Trey Mancini at first base. So there are a lot of things that you can do with him, but you're going to definitely want Ryan Mountcastle in your everyday lineup. And he's, he figures to be very, very good again this year. And then Austin Hayes, you know, he's had some bad luck in recent years where he's dealt with some injury stuff. I think the last full season that he had when he was healthy was 2017. That's when he was in Frederick and managed to get his way to the Orioles that season. But the quality of his at-bats were really strong. He wasn't rolling over as much when he was facing left-handers, was driving the ball to the big part of the field. And then he had one game where he had two different outfield assists against the Pirates. So he looks like he is ready to go in every facet of the game. You can move him all around the outfield, and that should provide Brandon Hyde some flexibility. And he's an RBI threat, too. And so we'll have to see where Brandon Hyde puts him in the lineup. He's hitting the leadoff spot in the past. But in spring training, we saw him hitting in the middle of the lineup, maybe in the five or six spot a little bit more. And he proved to be pretty good when he was in one of those spots. And listen, pitching wise, I'm really curious what the Orioles have uh, with some of the rookies that are in this opening day rotation. I know it was surprising to some that Keegan Aiken did not uh, get one of those five spots. Uh, He obviously will likely be on the team at some point this year. But Dean Kramer's in the rotation. Bruce Zimmerman's in the rotation. And in six months from now, Jeff, if we think that Dean Kramer and Bruce Zimmerman are going to be in the 2022 rotation, in a lot of people's minds, this year will be a success, especially if you see others come along like a Michael Bauman or a Zach Lowther or whomever else uh, who's kind of brewing in the farm system. I feel like we're going to see what these two are made of, and it's going to be a big adjustment going from 60 to 162. Remember, Bruce Zimmerman made only one major league start last year. Dean Kramer made a couple of big league starts against a couple of teams. No, four of them in total. Three of them were good. One of them wasn't necessarily as good. But I think as the spring went on, Kramer got better. Um, I thought his last outing, which came against the Red Sox, uh, was was solid. Um, He was in the strike zone. The stuff was playing up. We watched him pitch against the Twins where he was up to 97 miles an hour. He was riding the fastball really effectively and getting it at the top of the zone. If he can mix in his breaking balls, we know how good that cutter can be since he added it last year. Um, He has a chance to be really good. It's just about being locked in every day, getting ahead of hitters. I think is going to be a big key for Dean Kramer. You know, last year we talked about it on a couple of different broadcasts with him. It felt like he was throwing well, but he was at times his worst enemy because he was falling behind and getting into deep counts. If he can find a way to jump ahead and put himself in some less stressful situations, it will allow him, I think, to have more success and it will hopefully allow him to go deeper into games which Brandon Hyde is hoping not only from just John Means, but some other members of his rotation at the start of the season. All right, well, let's get to it. We have Orioles general manager Mike Elias coming up and then Ben McDonald for our insider segment as we are set for baseball here in 2021 here Inside the Yard. And here on this very special edition of Inside the Yard, opening week edition, Orioles general manager in his third season running the ball club, Mike Elias, joins us right now. Mike, great to see you. Hey, you too, Brett. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get right into it. Spring training wrapped up in the books. Uh, First, your level of anticipation for the season. Does this part of it get old for you in any way? No, and and it's hard to take it for granted right now with everything we just went through last year. Um, You know, the season getting delayed for months, playing without fans. I never really was sure that we'd get to this point opening day. There's going to be some fans there in Boston. There's going to be 25% fans when we get home to Camden Yards. So um, we've been playing in front of 25% here in Florida. It makes all the difference in the world. The fans are really into it. I know everyone's been kind of itching to get back to baseball games and you can feel it. 
and the players talk about how it makes a lot of difference. So we feel, I think, particularly blessed to get to this opening day. It's a big milestone. Um, I think everyone thinks we're kind of turning the corner and we hope that, you know, the second half of this season is pretty normal. Mike, being a general manager was very difficult in 2020. I'm sure it's not any easier in 2021. Uh, what's a thing or two that, that maybe keeps you up at night as you get ready to start this season and set your rosters? Yeah, I can promise you it's not easy uh, in any year, but having to navigate the extra uh, health challenges, the considerations of the health protocols. Um, we have like extra roster restrictions with the tier one. Uh, you only have so many guys that are allowed in a facility and the alternate site. And then when you add a player, he's got to do intake, which takes like 48 hours. And the logistical aspect of it has been very stressing on top of something that's usually kind of hard to, to keep track of. Uh, in the first place. So that's, that's all been tough. I think that what we stay up about during all this as the players that aren't here, you know, making sure that they're getting their work in, whether they're at home or they're at our camps or facilities, we've done a pretty good job of that, but it's not good to have your top prospects, you know, missing out on real baseball, especially in our situation when we're so focused on minor league development. And also, I think uh, the health of our pitchers' arms, you know, going from a 60-game season to 162-game season, that's never been done before. We're all, and I mean, we across the industry are very worried about that. And so I think we're going to try to do our best, but there's no playbook for it. Mike, looking at the two Rule 5 picks, two pitchers, Tyler Wells and Max Roller, who made the opening day roster here, uh, your thoughts on those two, what you see, what you like, and where you see the potential with those two? It's nice that they're both making the opening day roster and it's a great achievement for both those guys. And, you know, hopefully they'll be making their big league debuts here in a couple of days. It's a great opportunity. Very hard as a rule five pick. You not only have to make it all the way through spring training, but you have to stay on the major league team the entire year. And as I said, this is going to be a very difficult year to navigate from a pitcher health and pitcher inning standpoint. So when we went into the draft, we targeted guys that we thought could provide length and be long relievers, maybe spot starters, maybe fifth starters if things go really well. Um, And so we identified both of these guys. They're both very big. They have a lot of pitches, you know, four or five pitch mixes, and they've thrown strikes and had success in the minor leagues. And obviously they didn't get to play last year, so they missed out on some upper minors experience. And Wells in particular was coming off of Tommy John surgery at the end of 18, so he really hasn't played organized baseball in a long time. Um, So it's weird, but it's weird like that across the industry. So we figured let's roll the dice. And, um, you know, they've both shown up here with really good stuff. Their velocities were kind of higher than or on the high end of what we were expecting, which is great. And Wells in particular has had an excellent camp statistically. Soroller has been performing better of late, looking more comfortable. The stuff's been great the whole time. So we're kind of banking on the stuff and um, we'll see how it goes here in the season. But I think if we're able to keep these guys throughout the year, they are um, good upper-level starting pitching options for us going forward. Mike, in terms of Plutko, you you talked about length, and obviously he can provide that, and so that's a big reason why he's probably a a good addition to this team. Uh, What else about him did you see that made him a good fit for the Orioles? Well, he's got a good delivery. He's got four to five pitches, if you want to count his cutter as a separate pitch. And he throws strikes and, you know, he 
has been a fifth starter for Cleveland. Cleveland's got one of the best rotations in the game, so it's no shame when you know you're at the back of that rotation or get pushed out into a long relief role, which is kind of what was happening this spring. So I think he was more valuable to us than to them. You know, we're looking for experienced innings coverage. We we like uh, the mix of pitches that he has, the experience that he has. I think he's got a durable delivery, and I think he's going to help us cover this season. And he's somebody that has the upside to kind of settle into the back of our rotation if things go well. So I think with him and Wade LeBlanc and the two rule five picks in the bullpen at the start of the year, that's a lot of length coverage. It'll take some pressure off of our starters and help get the ball to the shorter relievers, you know, at the, at the back end, Scott and Fry from the left side, we've got a, a Sean Armstrong and then a bunch of other right-handed short relievers that have had some success last year. And then Cesar Valdez, who's been a great find and very successful. And he can go long and short, I think, depending on what we need him to do. Orioles GM Mike Elias is with us. And the senior member of the rotation is Matt Harvey. And I've really been impressed with Matt just actually on some of his Zoom calls with the media. You you see someone who's been humbled. I I love the honesty the other day when he said, you never would have thought when you're starting an All-Star game or a World Series game that you'd be this excited to make a team. But the numbers in the springtime back it up. What do you like about... Matt Harvey right now, Mike. Yeah, it's cool having him here. First of all, he's, like you said, he's a smart guy. He's been through a lot and he's healthy. He had Tommy John surgery. He had thoracic outlet surgery that takes years to really come back from, if ever. And we brought him here knowing he put in some really good work in over the winter. We got we got our hands on video and, and some data from that. And I think he knew that ours would be a pretty wide open rotation competition knew that we had some good coaching techniques going on and wanted to come have spring training here despite some other opportunities. And if it didn't work out, you know, he'd at least showcase himself for the scouts and the rest of the league. But as it turned out, it did work out. I mean, we got a long season ahead of us, but I think he's going to help us log innings. He throws strikes. He's been 92 to 97 in this camp, kind of sitting in that 93, 94 range on a regular basis. Two-seamer, four-seamer. The two-seamer is something he's kind of leaning into lately for ground balls, and it's tough on righties. And then he's got a change-up and two breaking balls, and he's been throwing strikes. So, you know, it's been a rough couple of years for him. There's no question about that. But he showed us enough to to pull the trigger and put him on the roster, and uh, he's going to start the year in the rotation, and we'll just kind of see where this goes. Bruce Zimmerman last year was kind of a dark horse candidate, I think, to make the team. This year, he's going to be the number three starter. He got two appearances in the major leagues a year ago. How is Bruce Zimmerman better this year than he was last year? Well, you know, he was showing this last year uh, in Sarasota and the shutdown hit. But the big thing is the velocity with him. He's been 91 and 95 in this camp. He showed us that last spring. And that's relative to what he has usually been in his career, which is kind of 88 to 92, 93. And it makes a big difference for him when he's, you know, working 90 to 95, kind of sitting 92, 93, as opposed to topping out at 92, 93. He's a great worker. He's in tremendous shape. It, it shows on the mound, uh, the conviction that he has, the way he attacks guys. He's just very prepared. And he took the bull by the horns. He came in here, had a great spring. Good stuff, good velo, uh, wowed everybody in the weight room. And, and you got to reward that. I mean, I, I, you know, he's what we're looking for. Um, and to have a guy come over in a trade kind of unheralded, he you know, was in the, the Gossman trade a few years ago. 
and get better and, and kind of gain velo in our system and, and, and work his butt off to what we want to say. Mike, is, and I hate to lump all the young players together, but kind of taking a broad look at Grapefruit League play and what you got to see in the backfields, but very broadly, uh, young players that jumped out to you, whether it was a bullpen session or game experience from Adley Rutschman, Eusenio Diaz, Zach Lowther, who jumped out to you this spring? Well, all those guys showed their abilities at, at one point or another. Um, you know, all of them are going to start in the minors and need to continue developing. But, you know, Lowther, Zach Lowther had a great little game at Fort Myers the other night, really pounded the zone, worked quickly, which he always does, and threw strikes. And his velo was good for him, 91, 92. That was good to see. We're going to need him this year. I really think he's going to pitch in the big leagues this year, you know, health and sort of performance permitting. We have a great farm system right now, and it's a lot of upper-level talent, too. It's not a bunch of low-A teenagers. I mean, these are guys that are in high-A, double-A, triple-A already, a lot of pitchers, starting pitchers. So we've got a lot of help on the way. We're not going to rush them, especially after last season, getting the season canceled. But that was good to see. The guys that you mentioned have have shown well in camp. And then, you know, we've had a lot of players on the major league side have great camps. I think Austin Hayes in particular, it's been his healthiest camp yet. The production's been amazing. You know, it's just spring training, but he just looks good. The quality of contact. I'm very happy for him that he's breaking camp fully healthy for once. Mike, how would you assess Cedric Mullins's transition to just hitting left-handed and the camp that he had? It's something that we've discussed for a few years. I was a little worried about it until he told me that he did that until his senior year of high school. So hitting right-handed was a very late thing for him in life. And so to me, the fact that his whole childhood, he's had left on left at bats, I don't think it's going to be hard for him to switch back to that. He does have a better left-handed swing. His left-handed numbers are much better. So we think it's a good idea. We're supportive of it. Obviously, almost any left-handed hitter is going to be worse against left-handed pitching. That's why they switched to begin with. So we can't expect him to be equally productive. But he's been fine. He's gotten some extra base hits this spring against lefties. The swings have been fine. He looks like any old lefty against a lefty. So I think it's something we're going to roll with. And I think it's probably going to be the right move. Maybe the biggest news, Mike, this spring training was the announcement of the new academy for the Orioles in the Dominican Republic. And this is something you said a, a week ago that it's maybe a few days into the job in Baltimore. You were thinking about this one way or another. Uh, one, tell us about it, it coming to fruition and what it means for the ball club. Well, it's absolutely enormous for the ball club. I mean, we, we had been a team with basically no ability to sign players internationally in the way that you do nowadays. Reputationally, development-wise, this is going to be such an attractor for us. You know, it's a big thing nowadays to have the right facilities to develop kids. It's a great place for our staff to work, for our scouts to work when, you know, you do a lot of scouting at these complexes in the Dominican, you have workouts and you're kind of there all day. And it's just going to be really nice. It's going to be our home in Latin America in a, in a true sense. It was, I want to say a week or two into the job, I found out about this land. We started working on this possibility. There were zigs and zags and we got it done. A lot of people on the business side of our organization got this done for us. Kobe Perez's experience helped. He had been with the Indians. They had just built an academy. So here we are. I mean, we're going to be breaking ground, I guess, in the next few months. And it's going to take a year or two to build. But I think that'll come pretty quick. 
Mike, domestically, when you look at the draft, you're starting to see some of the mocks beginning to come out and predictions made about how things are going to go this year and all those different types of things. So I think it sort of whets our appetites a little bit. Um, But for you and the rest of your scouting staff after 2020 was very challenging from a scouting standpoint, how has your group gotten back to their normal routines and started preparation for this year's draft? Well, they're, they're out there. I mean, other than the safety protocols of keeping their distance, wearing gloves and masks, being careful when they're traveling, limiting flying, and then sort of the added element of college games getting canceled because of COVID protocols and high school games, which they've been dealing with. You know, it's a fairly normal scouting circuit for, for our guys. And in a way, there's more pressure on them than, than ever recently because we have so much less statistical data with this generation of players. They missed a, a summer, basically, of baseball. The Cape Cod League was canceled. The USA program was canceled. Their springs were truncated last year severely. And then now this year, it's just kind of a weird year. You know, you don't really know what to make of it. So we're trusting the scouts' evaluations as much as ever. And we also have a dynamic where this was only a five-round draft last year. So all this talent from round six through 40 last year has been rolled over and dumped into this class. So there's tons of players out there. So our guys are, are working hard. I think, thankfully, the draft is a month later this year. That'll help give us a little more time. It's going to be in July. It's usually in June. But yeah, it's going to be tough. Orioles set to pick fifth in the draft. And by the way, I will volunteer this podcast to do an assignment at the Academy in the Dominican if you twist our arms when it's set to open in maybe like 2022 or three. We'll be happy to go down there uh, right in the middle of the winter here in Baltimore. Yeah, a lot of people coming out of the woodwork wanting to travel to the Dominican. I think cooped up in their in their rooms all year. Hey, and- <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll take it for the organization if you make us. All right, what we did our fun five questions with you last time you were on, Mike. We have a new set of them. I promise you, after you do this one, we'll never go down this road again. Uh, but here's our new set of fun five questions for Orioles general manager, Mike Elias, here on Inside the Yard. Mike, the last series you binged. The last series I what? Binge watched. Oh, I mean, I did a lot of it in a certain part of 2020, like a lot of people. I'm trying to think of the last one. Start to finish, probably Succession, which is an excellent show, but that's only two seasons. So I'm looking forward to the third season there. But I like the, I like the HBO uh, production values. They, you can always trust them to put out a good one. I concur. They have the track record. What do you eat before or after and after a game? Try not to eat after a game. It's very late. Before, depending on, you know, what's going on, uh, we have, if we're home, we have excellent food in the clubhouse if I'm there. And also pretty good food in media dining, which we didn't get to do last year. I'm hopeful that'll change, but maybe not this year, but pretty soon we'll get back to those hot dogs and media dining. Fingers crossed on that. What would your first grade teacher say about little Mike Elias in Northern Virginia? I think I talked a lot in class, probably got in trouble there. I remember being good at uh, spotting things in, in class, like being observant with stuff. And I always won contests with that. So maybe that's why I went into scouting, but I, that's what I, my first grade teacher would have said other than some bad things. What would you do if you weren't in baseball? Oh boy. That's a, that's a really, uh, it's a tough question. It's been a long time. I've, I've done nothing but baseball my whole life. My, my dad was a secret service agent. You know, I grew up in the DC area and it's possible I would have gone into something like that, but I ended up playing baseball and just kind of happened that I got into scouting. All right. Last one. If you were 
on the road and traveling and you had to have a road alias like Michael Elias had a bunch of groupies, what would it be? How about alias? Is that is that different enough? Well, it's just a one letter change. Yeah. Fine. That's fine. Yeah. Either. <laughs> Mike Elias, congratulations on making it to 2021 baseball. We're really looking forward to it, obviously, and best of luck this year. And we'll be uh, along for the ride. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, good stuff. The all-new 2021 five-game flex plan is now available. Select the games that fit your schedule before the general public, including access to popular promo dates, like Jim Palmer bobblehead and Birdland Hawaiian shirt. Plans start at just $99. Visit Orioles.com slash flex to purchase your plan. And here at Inside the Yard for our insider segment is someone who once upon a time was the number one overall pick in the baseball draft and now Orioles broadcaster, mass and commentator, Big Ben McDonald is with us. And Ben, uh, I have to start with a big congratulations to you and your family. Your nephew, Max Roller, has made the Orioles ball club as a rule five pick here this spring. And that is just awesome news. Yeah, no, we're, the, the family is so excited. It brings back so many memories of, of many, many years ago. And, you know, mom and dad's been digging through the old boxes. My sister came and got my old Oriole jacket from, you know, like 1992. And she wore it to work today. Everybody's so excited. I know Mac is super excited, you know, to break with the big club, to go from a ball to the big leagues. going to open up here, you know, opening day at Fenway Park where there's so much history. It's just he's so excited about it, you know. But now, like I told him, the work begins now. And you got to stay there and you got to earn it and, and you got to pitch well when you get your opportunities. And we know what's going to happen to Baltimore this year. There's going to be a lot of guys to get opportunities this year, just like there were last year, you know. So he's got his foot in the door. He's on the big league club. Now he's got to go out and perform. Very few families can say that they have had two different people go from A ball to the major leagues. But you've actually done the same thing. You had two appearances with Frederick Keys before you got your opportunity to go up to the major leagues. So when you and Mac have talked about and he's gotten a taste of some major league hitters in spring training. But when you've talked about pitching in major league stadiums, going from a ball to the big league, which is a very, very big jump. Uh, what are some things that you're telling him that you think might allow him to have some success? Well, the biggest thing I told him, I, I think as pitchers, sometimes we give hitters too much credit. And sometimes as you go up the ladder, and you make it to the big leagues, you start to think, okay, I have to be so much better than what I was. You know, I got to do things a whole lot different. And I think sometimes that can get you in trouble, right? You start to kind of nick the corners and all of a sudden it's 1-0, it's 2-0, it's 3-1. And I don't know anybody that can successfully pitch in the big leagues when you're constantly behind hitters. And so I think that was a concern for him. And he did that early in spring training. He felt like he had to be so good and it got him in trouble. Then I just had a conversation with him. And I'm sure Holty did too. It's like, look, Mike, your stuff is good. That's the reason why we draft you. Go out and attack hitters. I want you to attack. If you get hit, you get hit. And Mac was told in his exit meeting yesterday that, hey, you're here because we think you can throw strikes. You need to go out and throw strikes, and we'll take our chances with your stuff. And so I think that's what he takes out of it. Now, how do you perform in front of 20,000 people? Hopefully we'll get to even more than that as the season goes forward. That's going to be something different. Can you let your talents take over? Because – that's a big question mark at the big league level, you know? So we'll see how it goes right now. It's a huge jump from A-ball to the big leagues. I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. It is very, very difficult to do that. And the other thing is, from a broadcasting perspective, Ben, I know you've seen your children play in very competitive environments as a dad. Have you thought about that moment as a broadcaster watching 
your sister's son and maybe not reacting to every pitch here or there, every moment here or there? He pitched in a super regional against LSU, or regional rather. And so I actually had him on the mound. And look, I was more nervous than he was. I know. I mean, my palms were sweating calling the game, you know, but you just try to call it as you see it, you know, and you take all the other stuff out of it. But it's going it's to be difficult for me because I'm pulling so hard for him. But on the other hand, hey, it's the big leagues and he's got a job to do and he's got to go out and do it. We're with Ben McDonald, a Masson broadcaster and a colleague of ours on Inside the Yard. Um, ben, when you look at the rest of this Orioles rotation, um, I guess let's start with Dean Kramer. What do you think Kramer needs to take from last year and improve upon this season uh, to be a consistent member of the Orioles rotation, not only this year, but in the years to come? What I liked about him and loved about him last year when him and Keegan Aiken came up, they attacked strikes, right? I mean, the, the moments weren't too big for him, and they really acted like they belonged, and they attacked hitters. They got ahead and had a good bit of success last year in the month of September. You know, then you watch him pitch a little bit in spring training. I didn't get to see him like you did. I didn't get to see Kramer pitch a whole lot. But just listening to the Zoom calls and looking at the numbers, it almost felt like that Dean Kramer couldn't control his fastball as much as he wanted to. He was consistently behind in counts. So I think for him, it's rhythm of the fastball, right? He's got a good fastball. I mean, look, he flashed some fives and sixes last year, 95, 96. I think he's got a really good fastball. But I think it's about getting ahead for him and then letting his off-speed stuff work because we knew about the big curveball. That's what we heard about him in the minor league system is how good it was. And then I think the cutter last year, when he really developed that cutter as he did in the alternate site, you know, and maybe in the offseason a little bit, that was a good pitch for him too. And he could throw it just about any count. So I think it's what a lot of these pitchers are facing right now, Jeff, is consistency. Can you consistently go out every day? And here's the thing. You don't have to be good every day, but you can't be bad, right? And so I think what they're looking for is when you're going to be good, you're going to be good. You're going to give us six innings. You'll give up one or two runs. But when you're bad that day and your bad day has to be five innings and you gave up three runs, maybe, you know, that's got to be your bad day. So you can't go from really good to just horrible where you're knocked out in the first or second inning. It's got to be something in between. So there's a lot of innings. The Orioles, like all clubs, have to make up this year. It's going to be a bunch of bulk innings out there. But they're going to need their starters to work in these ball games a little bit when they're in there. They can't get knocked out in the second and third. It just can't happen. they got to work through some stuff. So for Dean, it's about experience. Getting that mound time, that's what he needs is big league mound time. I think he's going to figure it out. And speaking of velocity and someone like Matt Harvey, and I know you haven't seen the latest version of him very much uh, in the springtime, Ben, but when you're used to throwing 98, 99, and it's not there anymore, and you have to kind of become a different pitcher, take us th through that and, and how hard it is to make those adjustments. Well, that's why command of your stuff is so important, you know, and that's why you've seen the guys – that have had long, long careers be able to adapt and do different things. Mike Messina was one of them, you know, threw a little bit harder, but toward the end of his career, he could shape a breaking ball a little bit differently. He could drop an arm slot occasionally. He threw more two-seam fastballs. That's where Harvey is. Because when you throw 98 like he used to throw, you get away with a lot of stuff, right? Because he had a good breaking ball too. So he could kind of feather his way through some stuff and get away. Now that same velo's not there. So now you got to rely on fastball command. I love the fact that he broke down the analytical stuff. I love the fact that he was a guy that pitched in a World Series. He started an all-star game, but also said that, you know what, I have to change some things that I've done in the past because those things aren't there anymore. I like that about Matt Harvey, right? Because there's some ball players out there that are stubborn. By God, they're going to do it their way no matter what. You know, well, he's saying, hey, I've not had a whole lot of success the last couple of years. So you know what? 
I'm going to throw more two seam fastballs. I'm going to sink the ball in the zone a little bit. I'm going to throw my breaking ball, maybe my all speed stuff just a little bit more. So I love the fact that he's adapting to who he is now versus what he used to be. And from all accounts, look, the last couple of outings have been pretty good. I hear a lot of good things about the two seam fastball, a lot of good things about his all speed stuff. He's throwing it more. So, you know, the experience is there. He has the mound time. So I think he's one of those guys that can go out and give the Orioles some good innings. They're looking for that too, Ben, from John Means. And in spring training, I think one of the things that John was trying to work on is how to more quickly put hitters away when he gets to two strikes. From a pitcher's perspective, how do you get better at doing that? Well, look, there's nothing more frustrating to a pitcher or to a manager is to get a guy 0-2 and then you can't put him away. You know, you just don't have the killer what. Oh, hi, uh, college coach Skip Burton just called it a killer pitch. Do you have a killer pitch? Which now what we call, do you have a wipeout pitch or a finished pitch? And that is very frustrating to go 0-2, then it's 1-2, then it's 2-2, then it's 3-2, and then you got to make something happen. All of a sudden, instead of throwing three or four pitches, you throw on seven or eight pitches, and the pitch count goes up. So how do you finish, guys? That's great. I mean, the, the way you finish, guys, is you got to make them put a ball in place. So if you're not a wipeout-type pitcher with just dominating stuff, Maybe like John Means can flash number one stuff sometimes. He can strike guys out. We've seen that. We've seen the fastball tick up. But I think he needs to be even more aggressive in the strike zone or be able to command it to where you can throw a ball, you know, one ball off the inside corner, one ball off the outside corner, and make a, a hitter make a decision at the plate, you know. And so if your goal is to work deep in ball games, you got to figure out a way to finish guys when you get them ahead, right? And you really have to finish – and there's a time to strike out a guy when you get that runner at third base and less than two out or first, you know, second, first and second, two out or whatever it is. That's when you really want to be able to turn your stuff up a notch. Big Ben, let's talk offense here. And we saw Ryan Mountcastle for about a month last season. We all saw the potential. It kind of delivered on what was expected, a top 100 prospect, a first round pick. This spring, he picks up pretty much right where he left off. Let's take the cowboy hat off for a moment and put on a scout hat. What is the potential as you see it offensively for Ryan Mountcastle? I think it's a high ceiling. You know, I was impressed with Mountcastle last year. I felt like his ability to take the breaking ball. And what you see from a lot of guys come up, pretty good fastball hitters, but really can't wait and hit the breaking ball the other way. He showed me the ability to take a breaking ball and really punish it the other way. I was impressed as far as that goes. He showed me a lot of being able to wait. He showed me a lot about pitch recognition, right? We heard a lot. There's going to be a lot of swing and miss. Well, we didn't see a whole lot of swing and miss out of him, no more than anybody else. So I felt like he adapted and could recognize pitches right away. It's an elite bat for me. He's really good with his hands on the inside part of the plate. You don't see many fastballs beat him in. But they also the ability to serve the off-speed pitch the opposite way. Came in, hit 333 last year. He hit some home runs. You know, um, I'm, I'm impressed. I want to see as the league adapts to him this year, and now there's scouting reports out, and now he may get pitched a little bit differently. We'll see how he adapts. But all in all, I think Ryan Mountcastle is going to be there. I think he's going to be one of the rookie of the year guys. He'll be right in that mix when it's all said and done. Because I do believe if you give him 450, 500 at-bats in the season, I really think he's a 25-homer guy. I really believe he can hit 270 and hit 25 home runs and drive in 75, 80 runs. I really do. I think, Ben, you could probably say the same thing about Anthony Santander. How do you go about making sure he stays on the field? Well, that's a good question. We know he's banged up with an oblique. I think that's what put him out last year when he was having a phenomenal year. And you could have made the case the first month of the season last year that Anthony Santander was the MVP of the American League. That's how good he was. And he really showed us something last year. We knew he was pretty good, but – that month before he got hurt or whatever it was, look, 
we were impressed with him because he turned some balls around, some moves to the baseball on both sides of the plate were really good. He showed us a good arm in the outfield. He threw some guys out. I mean, look, he was in the mix for the gold glove as well. So I think Santander is a guy that uh, is the elite outfielder, but you're right. You got to keep him on the field, you know, and I don't know if it's the same oblique as it was during last year that put him out. I don't know if it healed all the way. I don't know what's going on, but it's kind of, you know, we're not hearing a whole lot about it. I just hope he's okay and at least can DH for opening day, but we don't know yet, you know, but if he gets on the field, I believe same thing with him. You give him 450, 500 at bats, he's going to put up big numbers too. Ben, it's time for our fun five baseball questions. Even though you're a part of our insider segments, we have to ask anyway. So just roll Ooh. with them here. You ready? Ready. All right. What is your favorite baseball movie? Ooh, uh, Bull Durham. Bull Durham is my, I mean, that's, that's a close one, but I'm going to go with Bull Durham. What was your high school senior year ERA? It didn't make one. I remember that. It did not, it was below one. It was below, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. This is a tough one for you. What was your favorite minor league city to play or visit? You didn't have too many. I spent the most time in Rochester, New York. My gosh. I mean, it was, that was the coldest place I've ever been in my life. You go spend April in Rochester, New York, but I was lucky, right? I got two starts in the minor leagues and got called up and I wasn't even staying. I was staying in Baltimore, driving back and forth to Frederick when that happened. So I really didn't get to stay in Frederick. So really the only minor league city I spent any time in at all was probably Rochester, New York. Most influential baseball person in your life? Probably my dad. My dad, I can remember, you know, we, we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, and, and I was pitching at six or seven years old. I had a glove, but he didn't, and he'd put a wash rag on his hand, and he would catch balls. I would throw to him, and he'd be the catcher, and he'd have a wash rag on his hand just to kind of, just to kind of you know, brace the throw a little bit. Of course, now, I was only about eight or nine years old, so I wasn't throwing real hard, but I remember him catching me with a rag over his head. That's how he used to do it, and he, he'd throw it back to me. But he's the one that got me involved in baseball. He was my coach uh, through Little League. Uh, until, you know, he finally bowed out of it when we were 15. He said, well, y'all know more than what I know now, so I'm bowing out of it. But he was the one that got me interested in all kinds of sports. That's a great story. And finally, and I think I know the answer to this, give us one skill or talent you have outside of baseball. Ooh. You can say technology if you want. Technology is not going to be real high on the list, I'll be honest with you. It's got to be, I feel like I'm a pretty good outdoorsman, doing some stuff in the outdoors and figuring some things out when it comes to hunting and fishing a little bit. So I feel like that's a, that's a talent of mine too. I have one other question for you. You said you were trying to bring the cowboy hat north with you last year, but you couldn't fit it in your bag. Is the cowboy hat that you're wearing as we're taping this right now, are you going to find a way to bring it to Baltimore with you this year? I got to because Yellowstone's cranking up, guys. And we were talking about that. Yellowstone's in June. And look, when I'm sitting around Baltimore on my iPad that sometimes I can make work, I watch Yellowstone. And so I got to have the hat and maybe an adult beverage while I'm watching Yellowstone, you know. So, yeah, I'm going to find a way to get it there. It may be a little bit wrinkled up when I get it to Baltimore, but I'm bringing it this year. We might have to have a Yellowstone viewing party when it comes back, Ben. But safe travels this baseball season, Ben. We'll see you in Baltimore soon. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, look forward to seeing you guys. Take care. That is Big Ben McDonald for our insider segment here on Inside the Yard. The Oreos! Everybody love the Oreos!
We are pleased to be welcoming fans back to Oriole Park at Camden Yards for the 2021 season at a reduced capacity. Guarantee your access to Orioles baseball this April and May, including access to opening day by becoming a Birdland member. Birdland members enjoy great added value, including up to 20% savings on concessions and merchandise, plus access to Birdland rewards. For more information, visit Orioles.com slash membership. All right, Jeff, we just talked to Ben McDonald. We talked to Orioles general manager, Mike Elias. That means the season is here. It is upon us, the 162-game marathon and all of its glory. Uh, what what jumped out to you from what you heard from the Orioles GM? And I think kind of how he talked about what stood out most about the Rule 5 picks. And when you looked at their different numbers and things like that and their performances and the way they developed and you, know, you talked about how good of a camp Tyler Wells had and just seeing him in person for the first time in one of the Orioles last spring games against the Yankees. You know, it was impressive to watch him go through Judge, Stanton, Gardner. You know, those are three pretty darn good players right there. And the stuff itself looks really, really good. And then I was impressed with what I saw from Max Soroller. And, you know, we got a little bit more information from Ben about his nephew and what he did and how he's helping him try and get accustomed to not only just facing major league hitters, which he got to do in spring training this year, but also how to deal with all these people at the ballparks. I know it's not going to be full capacity at the very start of the year, unless you're in Texas, but at the same time, getting used to seeing bigger crowds than you ever would have seen in any of your minor league games is an adjustment that he's going to have to make and something that I think will be taken into account as we we start this year. And then just some of his other you know things that he pointed out, talking about Austin Hayes. I wasn't aware about Cedric Mullins that he started switch hitting that late. So I think that makes it a little bit more understandable while the transition for him going from hitting switch-handed to hitting just left-handed was maybe a little bit easier as opposed to say somebody who maybe started switch hitting when they were 13, 14 years old, in which case it could have made it a much more difficult thing. But based on the at-bats that we saw in Mullins, he looked pretty comfortable out of the gate and Mike gave some clarity as to why. Yeah, to me, one quick thought on the Dominican Academy, and I get how some fans might not totally grasp the importance of it, but it really brings this franchise into a necessary place here in 2021 and beyond. And, you know, all kidding aside about getting an assignment there, which we're very serious about. The reality is to, to, you know, kind of grow the best talent, to acquire the best talent from such a, a place where it exists, you have to have that. I mean, it's not really a thing you can, you can have an option on. It has to happen. And this is such an important step for the organization. It's a really exciting step for the organization. I think when you think about, Sarasota, the Dominican Academy, and what that looks like, what the blueprint looks like, and Camden Yards. I mean, those three things put the Orioles in some rarefied air when it comes to the totality of the organization in both development and fan experience and what we have to offer, what the club has to offer. So that's very exciting. And then I think, Jeff, I feel the same way at the start of every season. I have a lot of questions. I'm curious about a lot of things. And the good news is, and the beauty of this game is, in six months, I'll have some answers. I th- I'm, I, I'm dying to know what it looks like when Austin Hayes gets 500-plus at-bats. I hope I get to see that. I really hope I get to see Dean Kramer make 30-plus starts and what that looks like. Will Tanner Scott take even another step? Will Dylan Tate be able to take a step? These are questions. And guess what? We get to start getting some answers now. I felt like in 2020, we were looking for answers to tons of different questions because it was a season that we'd never seen before. It was 60 games, health and safety protocols, lots of different challenges, regionalized schedules. That was what we had last year was weird. 
It was a weird season. We got through it, though. That was the most important thing, and the Orioles got through it entirely healthy. So you got to give a lot of credit to Brian Ebel and his staff and everybody for making that happen. But I feel like in 2021, there may be even more questions than in 2020 because of the massive jump in games to 162. And I don't feel like, at least in any season that I've seen, there have been more questions than there are this year about how's the pitching going to work. How are you going to be able to get through it? And I think for the Orioles, because you are rebuilding right now and you have a lot of younger pitchers, and I think you're going to cycle through lots of different pitchers as the season goes on, but how are you going to be able to manage it, especially when you're playing in the American League East, and how are other teams across baseball going to be able to manage it with all these different pitchers? So if, if you're a pitcher and you're not on an opening day roster, but you're just on the fringes of it, or you're very close to being major league ready, I think you feel pretty darn good and confident that you're going to be seeing time on a major league staff at some point this year, and you're going to have a chance to make a big impact and have an opportunity. So I think for guys like Bauman, for Lowther, for Alexander Wells, those are the types of pitchers that right out of the gate, and Keegan Aiken, remember he got option, need to be ready to go because they might be called upon sooner rather than later in as wacky of a year as this is going to be. It's a huge season in the overall process for Mike Elias and the Baltimore Orioles, and we'll be with you every step of the way. The Orioles Radio Network, Masson, and of course, podcasting and Inside the Yard, where you can continue to download it at orioles.com slash podcast or wherever you download podcasts. Do us a favor, go back, catch up on old episodes. We have a bunch now piled up and go tell someone about it. Share it, respond to us. We want you to be a part of the program as well. And we're excited to be back for another season of podcasting about Orioles baseball. And also, we're so excited that fans are back at the ballpark and Birdland experience an O's game with the convenience and privacy of your very own suite, a variety of affordable single-game suites throughout the ballpark are available. Enjoy exclusive access to the game with climate-controlled interior seating, a private restroom, and comfortable outside seating. Visit Orioles.com suites for more information. So before we say goodbye on this first Inside the Yard and podcast of this 2021 campaign, Jeff will be working together for opening day in Baltimore, April 8th. That is a 305 first pitch, and I can't wait, buddy. I'm really looking forward to it and to seeing fans back at the ballpark. I mean, we said it right off the top that you felt more normal when we got, when you and I did our first game this year in Sarasota, it felt a lot more normal than it had felt previously, just because there were people there. It may not have been full capacity, but having fans there, even at a reduced capacity made it feel like a much more normal experience. Last year was sterile and strange and, you felt like you were kind of locked in a moment of time, a, a spot where we are hopeful we don't ever have to go back to where the ballparks aren't full and the fans aren't there. Um, th that's something we don't want to experience again. And we're really excited, uh, especially as more folks get vaccinated and as you know, the year goes on and we get closer and closer to normal, um, that it's really going to gonna feel like baseball again. Camden Yards is going to have that vibe that has always been known for, and it's going to be really cool uh, to see fans back on opening day at 25% capacity. So welcome back. We'll talk to you. We'll see you. We'll see you inside the yard. Go play in the yard!